Hello to all of our quality-minded listeners. A special shout out to our Mayo Clinic Care Network members. Welcome to Key Into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability trends and solutions. This podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps towards understanding and improving quality challenges in your organization. Thank you for joining us. I am Dr. Timothy Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine here at Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science, and I'm the vice chair of Mayo Clinic Quality and Affordability. Today, we're going to talk about ways that you can help your entire practice become supporters and stewards of the patient experience. Patient experience has always been important to medical practice. However, in recent times, I think it's fair to say that there's been an intense spotlight focusing on patient experience. In fact, recent research shows that patient experience has become one of the top three priorities of hospital leaders. From the boardrooms, I suppose this might be because of the compelling data that shows organizational cultures that focus on better experience also have better overall quality, higher safety, better efficiency, and increased employee engagement, and better financial results. So providing the best experience involves every single person in the organization. The impressions begin even before a consumer becomes a patient, and it continues from that first contact all the way through to discharge of care and until the last bill is paid. So the challenge is, how do you get people in the organization engaged in real change that improves patient experience? The questions we aim to answer today are, number one, how does our Office of Patient Experience interact with caregiving units to help them improve? Number two, what are the key drivers of patient experience and how do we use those? And finally, what does an ideal interaction between patient experience workers and patient care coworkers look like? I'm fortunate to be working today with Sherry Nemec, my partner and our manager of relationship and consulting services for quality. So joining us today to help explore these questions are Heidi Stair and Dr. David Nessler. Dr. Nessler is an emergency medicine physician at Mayo Clinic. He also serves as quality co-chair for all of the emergency departments in the Midwest and is the medical director of patient experience through Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Dave, I've known him for a long time, and he's associate professor at the Mayo Clinic School of Medicine and Science. His key interests focus on healthcare quality, patient safety, patient experience, healthcare quality. David, how long have you been with Mayo Clinic, and how did you get here? Thanks for having me, by the way. And I started here 13 years ago. I was completing residency and actually came to Mayo Clinic to do a clinical research fellowship. At the time, I was very interested in NIH-funded research, and I found a niche in healthcare quality. And through that experience, I've been working in my clinical department and with the overall Office of Patient Experience now for the last several years. Fantastic. And we also have Heidi Stair. Heidi, can you tell us a little bit about your role and when did you come to Mayo Clinic? Sure. Um, I came to Mayo Clinic about 20 years ago and I actually started out in the finance department and held various roles throughout that part of my career. But as I was working there, I was getting my education in communication and business. And that really led me to uh, my career here as a senior advisor inpatient experience where it's really married my interests and passion for looking for ways to improve the experience for our patients in a variety of ways. Super. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Um, I'm going to just launch some questions and maybe we can just talk about uh, how patient experience works at Mayo Clinic. So, you know, like most hospitals, I know we have dedicated patient experience staff and we've had them for a long time. 
Tell us about the world of patient experience at Mayo Clinic. Absolutely. And again, thank you for having us here. Here at Mayo Clinic, we have a team of administrative staff who work on patient experience full time. Our approach has really evolved over the last few years, and we underwent a redesign in 2017. Our top leadership recognized that we really had outstanding overall quality, but our patient experience measures had a great deal of room for improvement. The past three years have produced consistent improvement in these areas, and we're really honored to share those approaches with you today. Okay, well, okay, so, so I know that we have a, a team of administrative staff in patient experience, but you know, we also have a physician serving as the medical director. Uh, David, hey, tell us, tell us why that's been a vital component of our patient experience approach. Well, thanks. And one of Mayo Clinic's unique approaches to healthcare leadership is its use of what we like to call dyads. We, we have physicians partnered with administrative staff in every aspect of our leadership from the chief executive level on down. And we like this approach and we continue to use it because this ensures that our actions combine both the business and administrative focus with frontline healthcare providers. So I serve as the physician partner for our Office of Patient Experience here at, in Rochester. Okay. Well, so our Office of Patient Experience, I know, has quite a number of different facets. Over the years, I've learned that we have groups that focus on service recovery. We have groups that focus on training, education, and coaching. We have groups that are really responsible for data reporting and, and, and display. And then uh, it seems like recently we've had a new group that's really focusing on integrating patient experience work within the practice. Maybe today we could focus on that integration with operations. Um, tell us a little bit more about that integration, limb and why that's important. Yes, like you mentioned, we have multiple team focused on various aspects of the patient experience. Our integration with the practice is what we refer to as our improvement partnership team. That's the team that I'm part of as a senior advisor. The name is really important because it highlights how we've approached this integration. The purpose behind this team is to build trusting relationships with the practice and share the voice of the patient. In doing so, we empower them to make meaningful improvements, enhancing the experience of those that we serve. And to add to that, when we meet with the practice, we have to decide what we want to use to guide our overall approach. So like most hospitals, we use patient surveys and we have a third party vendor that sends them to the patients, collects the responses and delivers the results back to us. Also realizing that our patient's experience is often not limited to just one care setting. We make sure to give equal partnership efforts to inpatient, outpatient, the emergency department, our hospice groups and ambulatory groups as well. Exactly, and when we redesigned our patient experience approach back in 2017, we were given a very clear but intentionally loose charge by our chief medical officer. We were told to drive improvement by meeting with all areas of the practice. Wow, I almost never get a, a, a loose charge. <laughs> tell, tell us a bit more about the loose charge, Dave. <laughs> I, well, I still remember this vividly. Uh, Mayo Clinic excels at maintaining a vision for what we want, and our vision was clear. We were told and we were going to meet with every practice area to focus on improvement. And most notably, we were instructed to focus on basic block and tackle. So many of us in healthcare want to be the best, to create the best, or to live to deliver the best. But patient experience isn't the same thing as putting a man on the moon, as I was told, and it has been true. 
our opportunities likely lie in the old football term of basic block and tackle. Help staff make their blocks, help them tackle efficiently, and that's how we can win the long-term game. Yes, to do this, we determined we would meet with the leadership teams of each inpatient unit, outpatient division, and in some instances, department leadership. To ensure the meetings were effective, we mirrored our definition of unit, department, or division to the structure of the practice. For instance, in Rochester, the outpatient department of surgery has nine separate divisions, but their leadership prefers to approach patient experience from a department level. So we meet with department level leadership and not the individual division leadership teams. However, a department of medicine prefers that we meet with each of their 10 separate division leadership groups. Wow. So yeah, you guys are really getting around. That's, that's a lot of, lot of ground to cover. Sounds like a lot of work, uh, but I know you've been doing that because you've met with my practice on, uh, on a number of occasions. How did you actually get started on that? That, that just seems like uh, a little overwhelming. Well, we had to define what our partnership was going to look like structurally, and we settled on a few basic rules. We have to meet with our 36 outpatient practice areas and our 55 inpatient practice areas twice a year. More frequently than that, and it's hard to see the big picture, things change too much. Less frequently than that, and departmental leadership sort of forget about us. So we have to have those folks present, the, the physician chair, the nurse leader, whoever is guiding their quality efforts, along with our patient experience medical director and patient experience advisor. Exactly. And each senior advisor is assigned to a specific unit, department, or division to support. We're partnered with the practice by survey type, which is based on care setting and not by specialty. For example, Neurosurgery has a different advisor for inpatient and outpatient. So, okay, so you said that on the one hand, people wanted you to start doing it by department, the Department of Medicine, nope, we, we need you down by division. And it sounds like where you've ended up is that, you know, some departments like neurosurgery, they have inpatient and outpatient. So you've, you, you've really kind of decided to not do it by department. Is, is that right? And if that's right, why? That's very, that's a great point. When we say by department or by division, that's after we separate inpatient and outpatient. And that became obvious to us early on. You could take two surgical practices considering, say, neurosurgery and urology. Early on, we realized that there's more similarity between inpatient urology healthcare delivery and inpatient neurosurgery healthcare delivery and patient experience than there is between a given group's inpatient and outpatient, such as neurosurgery, inpatient and outpatient. That's because probably what we believe is the environment drives the patient's expectations and the experience. Patients walking around in an outpatient clinic office setting want certain things, and patients who are laid up in a bed for days in a hospital want different things. So, so why do you think that environment and the supporting staff make such a difference um, in particular? It really comes down to the patient expectations of the care setting they're in and who they interact with the most. The hospital care setting, they expect to interact with nursing primarily and then periodically see a provider. In the outpatient setting, they expect to see their care provider with minimal nurse interactions. Thus, the key drivers for experience and improvement priorities are very different. The patient's perception of how well they feel care cared for 
is a big driver in the inpatient setting, while in the outpatient setting, it's the quality of communication and information that we provide. Okay, so Heidi, you used the word key drivers um, and improvement priorities. Lay that out for us a little bit. I mean, who, who decides something's a key driver? What does that mean? And, and how does that translate into an improvement priority? Well, strategically, we use these two terms a lot. Key drivers are nationwide. They're nationally derived issues that correlate with overall experience. One such key driver is, say, confidence in your care provider. But just because it's a key driver across the entire country, and it's a big country made up of small, large hospitals and urban and rural settings, that doesn't necessarily mean they're the areas that one of our practices or one of our partnering hospitals practices needs to address. So we want to understand what the national drivers are, but then we spend most of our time looking at improvement priorities. We call these, these are the mathematically derived questions from an individual's practice where focused improvement would drive their patient's overall satisfaction and experience. Okay, so this is really like in, in medical research when we do logistical regression analysis and we have, you know, a bunch of different factors and we're trying to kind of design an equation that if you put those factors in, which ones are the big movers of the, of the output? Is that, do I understand that correctly, Dave? Exactly. And for example, you could talk about a key driver could is sort of akin in the research world to age and the older people get, sometimes they may be more susceptible to a disease. But is it really their age or is it the other comorbidities that come th come with it? And when we look at the big picture, the key drivers, and we put it together with the more specific local priorities, these improvement priorities, that's where we seem to find the most meat. So like, you know, we're actually doing this recording today in the middle of the COVID pandemic, and uh, we're doing it remotely. Some of the listeners might notice some changes in our audio uh, quality and so forth. But but you know what we're all learning about COVID is the major risk factors for mortality. And we're talking about age and immunosuppression and concurrent comorbidities and so forth. So those are sort of the, the, the um, key drivers, if you will, of mortality. Would that, we got that about right? Exactly. And then the improvement priorities, if you will, they come into uh, very more specific issues that are harder to tease out. The overall conditioning of the patient uh, and their home environment and access to healthcare and such like that. Okay, cool. All right. Well, so earlier you mentioned that your patient experience work has really been evolving, and I think you're giving the listeners a flavor for that. Can you give me sort of a high-level view on how this partnership with the practice has evolved over the last few years? Yes, really to sum it up, we changed our approach from argue the data to focus on improvement and argue the benchmark to you are your own benchmark. Exactly. So we talk about the olden days, which was, say, before 2017. At that, in those times, we gave a ton of data to every single practice group and then told them to work on a very specific thing. Boy, this consistently just seemed to lead to arguments over data validity, whether they were whether the practice was being benchmarked properly, and both candidly and bluntly, we would meet. We would talk about survey results, we'd argue, and then we'd go about our business. And as you can imagine, not much was getting accomplished. We knew we had to rework our approach. 
we strategically started using motivational interviewing techniques for change management. Motivational interviewing is a method of communicating that supports resolving ambivalence and moving towards change. It draws on an individual's, or in this instance, the leadership team's own values and priorities to identify realistic opportunities for improvement. We have to discuss their work, really humanize the data, and empower them to improve the practice. We had to explain that changing culture is a long and slow process, and they are their own benchmark. What they've done last year is where they're at, and we just want to help them get a little bit better over time. Uh, you know, also joining us today is Sherry Nemec, who is uh, works with me in uh, quality. Sherry, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what does the term motivational interviewing technique mean? Good morning, Dr. Morgenthaler. Good morning. Uh, yeah, um, you know, there's been numerous ways that motivational interviewing has been used in various settings over the years, uh, but it's really engaging with um, the person that you're partnering with to find out what's meaningful for them, um, what's important to them, and then building on that importance and leveraging that to help them with improvement. So the, as I understand it, then the kind of the change here went from uh, a top down, you know, we know what you need to improve and go improve this to really meeting with the practice more as partners and saying, you know, here's what we find. Does this resonate with you? Well, what, what, what in all of this uh, looks like something that would be meaningful to you guys to improve? You know, would, would that help your practice and help things be better for your patients and your, your providers? Is that kind of the approach that you've taken? Absolutely. It's, it's resonated so much better with the practice leaders, the nurse leaders, and the physician leaders that it's really opened up the meetings and made them much more interactive and effective. Well, in, in fact, t talk a little bit about how your meetings have evolved over time, because I've, I've been in the practice long enough to be on the receiving end of how these meetings have gone. And, and if you don't share something that you did this last year with the listeners, I'm going to do it. But Talk about how this has evolved. Well, as Dr. Nessler mentioned, we used to give them a ton of data and tell them what to do, and we would go on our way. But leveraging the motivational interviewing strategies, we moved from leading with data to really kicking our meetings off with stories that would evoke emotion. We acknowledge the formal survey data later in the conversation, but we really try to de-emphasize it. At the end of the day, what's most meaningful to people and what they'll remember and share with others are patient and team stories. And that's what shapes cultures, not numbers. Yeah, you know, so recently, I, I think this was maybe a couple months ago or something, you brought to our practice uh, a brief sort of, I don't know if it's a video because it doesn't have moving people in it, but a, a, an interactive presentation, we'll say. And what you all did was a huge gift to me and my colleagues. You captured the many positive comments that patients give and you put it into a format that, I, I mean, I have to tell you, I showed that to my practice. And at the end of that, uh, there were some tears in their eyes because I think often, you know, we all come to work, we're trying to do our best. We always hear about the things that didn't go so well. And, and since we're all uh, about improvement, we focus on the failures and so forth. But to hear that uh, voice of the patient in, in terms of appreciation, I, I just can't tell you what that did for the people in the practice. So if the, I'm, I'm just kind of out of turn here, but thank you for doing that. And I know my colleagues said the same thing. So, okay, you've been talking about different approaches. You've been talking about motivational interviewing techniques. Tell us about the results. Well, 
I love this discussion because you can't talk about what you're doing <laughs> or suggest that it's successful, probably until you have some evidence that it seems to be working. Overall, we've seen some very nice steady improvement. We like to, the major metric that we track is a question, a common question in patient experience surveys, which is, what is your likelihood to recommend a practice? That is the most important measure to Mayo Clinic's top leadership. And a trend analysis over the past three years shows constant, steady, upward trending since we started this. Our hospital star ratings have improved and our quality reporting has improved. So to further understand this, we consistently evaluated how we engage these different practice areas. And again, noting that we have 91 practice areas, we wanted to understand who was going up faster and more consistently than others. We started looking at their engagement. We started actually creating an internal measure of engagement. And we found that the practices that were more engaged seemed to improve more, which was also reassuring to the overall Mayo Clinic leadership that our approaches through these different techniques, these biannual meetings with motivational interviewing um, uh, techniques and such was working. We also believe these approaches can be disseminated to our care network partners and other affiliate hospitals, and they would be disseminatable in that area as well. And thankfully, the response from the practice, as you just shared, Dr. Morgenthaler, has really been overwhelmingly positive. In meetings, they've been thanking us for the change in our approach. They appreciate the validation for what they're doing. And even just recently, one, one leader um, from one of the hospital units reached out and said, I love working with your team. Everyone is so positive and always trying to bring out the best in everyone. And even amongst this pandemic right now, we're, we're scouring our patient comments to see what they're experiencing right now because our e-surveys return um, pretty timely feedback that we're pushing out to the practice. And we've received so many comments just saying, it's so nice to hear that our patients feel cared for in these times of uncertainty. So it's been great to be part of that journey with the practice. All right, so now we're in COVID conditions. And, uh, you know, many of us are going virtual and, uh, you know, things are certainly not business as usual. What are your thoughts about patient experience during COVID times here? From my standpoint, it's critical. It's, it's critical in all the operations of healthcare delivery. Your opening summarized this so well. And at the end of the day, we're all healthcare providers we're being asked to do crazy things like video visits and phone visits and prioritize the risk and benefit of having a patient on campus versus holding off um, maybe a routine appointment for several months. And how we message that and how we interact with our patients is, is critical. We, in this digital age, we need to interface conscientiously with the patients and explain why we're doing what we're doing, not just be the heavy handed, you're in, you're not type of practice. And a lot of the approaches that we have been working on over the last several years were exactly that. For your listeners, you'll know that quite 
candidly, Mayo Clinic has rated well in overall quality of care. We, I am blessed to work amongst people who have good outcomes. We are a safe practice. But when we started this patient experience endeavor, we, re we realized that we weren't always communicating as well as a practice. We've been working on that, driving different groups, ambulatory surgical practice groups, inpatient medical teams, primary care. We've been working with them to communicate more effectively in the ways that the patients want. And by the feedback that we've been receiving in this crazy time, it sounds like the practices were already tooled to know that we have to keep that aspect in the back of our minds and actually on the forefront of what we do. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, this has just been a great conversation and you've given us, you know, some great tips and things to think about. Uh, there, there is so much to learn as, you know, the different ways that we're interacting with patients are changing by the hour, it seems like. And I know that uh, as we enhance our patient experience program at Mayo, that, that we're continuing to learn. It sounds like you're thinking about these things very differently. You know, I wonder, over the years, we've had to discover some things for ourselves, and I'm, I'm sure we got some help from other sources. You know, knowing what you, you two know, I mean, you're experts in this area, where should our listeners turn to for help with this work? Um, well, like Dr. Nessler said, we work with our um, third-party vendor to monitor our surveys um, and keep a pulse on that. But honestly, what we do quite frequently is we look internally to see what different areas are doing that um, are performing well already. And that's really actually something that the practice has asked us for more of in the future uh, is, can you bring to us what other areas in Mayo are doing well and help us to learn from those? So we really serve as a bridge or a connector of sorts to find those those little um, nuggets or gems in the practice that really enhance the patient experience and help share those and disperse those throughout the clinic and hospitals. Wow, thanks a lot, Hyde. Yeah, David. And I, I was gonna add on to that, that because I, that is just the perfect answer to the question. There, when, we, when I talked about the key drivers and improvement priorities, there are key things that hold true across the country and frankly, across the world. But you actually have to get into the practice. If it's an ophthalmology practice, which is uh, relatively short visits, some chronic conditions, some routine appointments, versus a cancer practice where everybody, frankly, is afraid, uh, you have to get into the practice and take these guiding principles, but improve within. And you'll never learn better than somebody else inside your own environment because the basic uh, overriding principles, your location is what it is, your billing system is what it is. But there, when you track improvement and share it with others from within, that, that can be a huge motivator and a source of true success. Uh, Sherry, do you have any other questions for our, our guests here today? Nope, I don't have anything else for today. Well, uh, so uh, our guests today have been Dr. David Nessler and Heidi Stair. I mean, boy, 
you both have been just such a blessing to me as teammates over the year. I've also been the recipient of your excellent work as I try to, you know, help my practice. So thank you so much for that. I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful to the work that you do and the privilege of working with you. Um, you know, over the years, I've had a lot of fun working together as a team. And I know that our listeners have enjoyed your insights and have learned a lot from you today. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Okay, well, we've come to the end of our podcast. We're glad you could join us and hope the information provided was insightful and valuable. Again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. The development of this podcast is part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations striving to improve. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations we all serve. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. Until next time. Thank you.